We're glad you've joined us today for Meeting with God. Meeting with God is the radio outreach of Vertical Church in Columbus. We're in the middle of a series called The Four Pillars of Vertical Church, and today we're going to listen to the beginning of a message called Pillar 2, The Gospel of Jesus. Let's find our hope in the Gospel of Jesus. As I've talked about last week, we have four pillars at Vertical Church. These are getting changed, tweaked slightly to fit better with our four W's. And if you're like, well, what's this church all about? The four pillars are what we believe. This is the foundation of everything we do at Vertical Church. Now, really, this is probably should be the foundation of everything you do in any church. But we're talking about our church right now, and we're going to be going through these. We talked about the Word of God last week. We're going to look at the Gospel of Jesus this week. But connected to these, if you're wondering about our church and, and how do, what do I do if I, if I believe these four things, what am I supposed to do? Well, Jesus said that the mission of the church is to make disciples, and we, uh, later this year, I'll preach on the four W's. Worship, a disciple of Jesus worships Christ, walks with Christ, works for Christ, and witnesses for Christ. And that's for another day. But today we're going to continue our discussion of the four pillars. Pillar number two, the gospel of Jesus. If you have a Bible with you, which I hope you do, or your phone, why don't you turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Now, we're going to look at a few things this morning. We're going to look at the gospel as a relational dynamic, a relational dynamic. We're also going to look at the gospel as facts, facts about this life, facts about eternity, most of all, facts about Jesus Christ. And then we're going to look at the gospel as the center or the periphery of our individual lives. Let's begin reading together Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Paul has just been talking to the church about how we are blessed by the Heavenly Father to be adopted into his family. That's what chapter 1 is about. But Paul in chapter 2 goes back a little bit to remind the Ephesians and us that's not where we started. Chapter 2 says, and you were, Paul says, dead. I want to just emphasize, dead. You are spiritually dead. You were, he says, because obviously these are believers now, but he says you were dead. He doesn't say you were sick. Just to be clear, you were dead. If you've ever gone to a cemetery, you can scream at those graves all you want. No one's getting up. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Notice now the picture of walking and moving. Following the course of this world this way and that way. Following the prince of the power of the air. He's speaking directly of Satan, the enemy. The power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. If you ever wonder why I look around the world and it seems like people are going crazy and they're doing crazy things. Well, that's pretty easy to explain. They're following the spirit that is directing unseen to us, but seeing the results of it. The spirit that is now at work among the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, 
and were by nature, here it is, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Children of wrath, objects of wrath. And the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel literally means good news. It's good news. Why is it good news? The gospel is good news because according to this text from God's word, before we come to know Jesus, before we come to embrace the gospel of Jesus, you are dead. What that means is you have no spiritual, while your physical body might be walking around, and I feel like I'm sort of describing a zombie scenario, but it is true. You might have a body that's walking around, but the inside of you, the, the part of you that is going to live into eternity when this body is done, that part of you is so dead that you would not respond to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is not in you. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. You're dead. You're as good as dead. In fact, the problem is that if while you're dead, you also physically die, Scripture says that you are without hope, you will spend eternity apart from God. So, tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. If you are spiritually dead, the best hope you have is for, well, what's coming next? I'm not going to get there yet. Just give me a second. I want us to think about wrath. The wrath of God. That sounds like an archaic idea. That sounds like somebody, that sounds like something a preacher would talk about 400 years ago. Let me pause you for a second. We love justice. Whether you're on the right or the left or somewhere in between, every human being loves justice in everybody else. I can't believe they did that. I can't, it's such an outrage. We live in a culture of outrage where we can't wait to get another rush from another outrage of something we've seen that somebody else has done and they shouldn't have done it and I want to hold them accountable. We need to hold them accountable. We love justice when we're talking about somebody else. But be careful what you ask for when you're asking for justice for everyone. Because the truth is, we stand before a holy God who is holy and righteous, so apart from us in every way. And one of the most significant ways is that he is perfect in his holiness. He does not sin, and he hates sin. Now, he doesn't like hate it like we hate Michigan. Or Ohio State, if you're on the other side of that. He hates it like we hate cancer. Like we hate when we see on something on television about a, a rape or a murder and there's something in us that just it reviles on such a greater level, God hates sin. Now the problem is, we're sinners by nature. It means we're born sinners. We, from Adam and our family, we have this nature of sin. And in addition to that, it doesn't take long for that to express itself as acts of sin or thoughts of sin or words of sin. I've never had to teach my kids how to be naughty. They just seem to have a knack for it. It's like they have a nature or something in them that leads them to sin. So back to the wrath of God. God is a God of wrath. What does that mean? That means if you're... Apart from God, apart from Jesus Christ, there is essentially a cloud hanging over you of God's wrath. 
And it's only a matter of time until that wrath that's hanging over you is expressed in eternal judgment. That's the beginning of the gospel. If you start trying to understand the gospel of Jesus in any other way, you will be confused and you will end up with a gospel that is not biblical. You will end up with a God that loves you, but why does he love me? Why did he even need to send Jesus? Why did Jesus need to die? If God loves everybody and everybody's going to heaven, then why did Jesus need to come and die on a cross? I get a little worked up about things like this. The reason why the good news is good news is because in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity relationally to experience more than the wrath of God in our existence. If I ended right now, if we ended at at verse 3, God could simply have said to hell with them, literally, and that would have been the end. Thankfully, we get to go to verse 4. This is what is so amazing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says in verse 4, after all of this, we're following the sin, we're in sin, we're drowning in it, we're dead, we're all of this. And then it says in verse 4, but God. Now maybe some of you need to hear this message directly. Your life is verses 1 to 3, and you're asking, is there hope? The answer is, But God should give you more hope than anything else, any other solution, any other band-aid in your life, but God. But God. The gospel starts with but God. Keep following along with me. But God being rich in mercy. Wow. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved. I want to look quickly at this relational dynamic. Notice that it says, but God. Now words that, notice the words we're using. We're using words like wrath, love, grace, mercy. Those are relational terms. We have those with people that we're interacting with. So what is the relational story of the gospel. Now, there's multiple ways that I could tell you the gospel. I could tell you the facts of the gospel. I'll get there in just a minute. There's a factual story of the gospel, a chronological story of the gospel. But I want to begin where the text begins with the relational story of the gospel. The story of the gospel starts like this. God created us for relationship. In a perfect setting, we failed, rejected that. God, because he cannot tolerate sin in any way, he has put his wrath over sinners. Think of it as impending judgment hanging over you and me. Now, once you realize that there's a holy God who hates sin, who hates what you read in the newspaper, or what you watch in movies, what you see in the news, in whatever format you see it, God hates sin. By comparison, we dislike sin. God hates it. But then scripture says in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. How does an all-knowing God who sees down to the bottom of my soul and your soul, who sees the wickedness in our hearts and the thoughts of our hearts that many people around us don't even see, and then he watches what we say and how we treat people, and yet this very God chooses to put his love toward us. That's insane. 
I mean, if it wasn't in God's word, I'd have to be making it up. The relational story continues. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave. Not only did God love us, he gave us an expression of that, a gift, literally the gift of grace. He sent his son. That's the other word here we see in the text, grace, and then mercy. He goes from wrath hanging over us to then expressing his love and his grace and his mercy. Now, if you're wondering, what's grace? Grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. If you think that somehow you can earn your way to God, we're going to get down that in the text. You can't. There's nothing you can ever do to bridge a relationship with the holy God. Nothing. Then mercy. Grace is that God gives us things we don't deserve. Mercy is that he doesn't give us what we do deserve. When you begin to think about it in those terms, you realize the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is Pastor Luke Aarons from Vertical Church. You know, as a result of listening to Meeting with God Daily, I hope that your passion for Jesus Christ is growing in such a way that you're learning to share your faith with others. You know, that's something that our church is committed to, equipping men and women to share the good news of Jesus through personal witness and church outreach. And if you don't have a church here in Columbus, Ohio, we'd love to have you join us this weekend. Go to verticalchurch.life. Now, the relational story not only goes to wrath, love, grace, and mercy toward us, but here's the heart of it. It's restoration. God is a God that wants relationship with us. He wants us, as he said, he makes us alive in Jesus Christ. Even when we are dead and distracted and following the world, he infuses us with his Holy Spirit, regenerates our hearts, and makes us alive with Jesus Christ. And suddenly the deadness is gone. And we come to see Jesus for who he truly is. We come to see God in his love. Let me give you a second thought. The gospel is good news about God's wrath and love and grace and mercy in Jesus. This is the relational story. I'm going to ask you if you have your Bible to turn to Acts 10 quickly. Acts chapter 10. I want to look here second of all, not just at the relational dynamic of the gospel, but also the factual dynamic of the gospel or the facts of the gospel. Now, what you're going to read here, we're going to read together from Acts chapter 10, verse 34. This is Peter's two-minute sermon. Notice what he says here. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea. These are facts that the, even the non-believers were aware of all that had been going on during Jesus' ministry. Beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they put him to death, hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge 
of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, these are the facts. The factual story of the gospel, more chronological, goes this way. God created the world and the universe. And in creation, then he installs two people in a beautiful garden. What we all go to visit on vacation in Hawaii. The most beautiful setting, a perfect setting, a perfect relational setting, everything perfect. But then we chose to sin. We had to have power. We had to have control. We had to have, we wanted to be like God. So we ran away and did our own thing. And the story continues. So God starts a rescue plan and he finds Abraham and he begins to build through the family of Abraham in a way that would bless all the nations. But all of the Old Testament is pointing to one thing that everyone was waiting for. And here it is. The gospel is good news about the advent, death, resurrection, and return of Jesus. The factual story of the gospel continues Emmanuel, that word means God with us. God came to be with us in Jesus. That's the first advent. We celebrate that at Christmas. Then the cross where God died in our place. Then the resurrection where God was raised, our hope of salvation. I'll just make this point. If you're doubting Christianity, take a second look. Because in 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle Paul says that literally, if the resurrection of Jesus is not a fact then Christianity is entirely a waste of time. In fact, he says Christians are to be most pitied because as they're getting persecuted, they're holding to a joke. If Jesus Christ was not physically raised from the dead, Christianity is a joke. We're still in our sin. Jesus must have been some good prophet with good intentions. No, he was the son of God. The story doesn't end there, though. The story ends with the return of God or the return of the king, that God is coming back to get us and to make all things new. Why does this matter? Just give me the facts, ma'am, just the facts. I want to talk for just a moment about the great switch. Why do these facts matter? Well, when you think about the cross of Jesus Christ, And I've been talking about wrath. I want you to think about where you start life seated. You start life seated as a sinner under the impending judgment of God. Now why? Well, because we're sinners and we sin and we do all kinds of things. It doesn't take us much time of honesty to acknowledge that we are sinners, that we do things that hurt people and break people's hearts and even hurt ourselves, certainly offending a holy God. Now, what should have happened is, we should have received the penalty for our sin. Now, the gospel story is that Jesus came along and pushed us out of the way, and Jesus Christ himself sat on the, you could say, cross, and he sat in our seat, Jesus in my place, that on the cross, he absorbed the penalty for our sin. What we deserved, he took. Now, here's the crazy thing. It's the great switch. 
Over here is the seat where Jesus should be in. Jesus was righteous. He is sitting under every sort of blessing you could imagine for living a righteous life and doing all things well and honoring the Father in every way, what we would aspire to be if we were perfect, but will never be. Now, the gospel story is that Jesus took our seat under God's wrath and absorbed the judgment on the cross and in turn told us to go sit over here and to sit on his seat, sitting under what we call imputed righteousness, that on our account, instead of sin and all the things we've done and bankrupt beyond bankrupt, we sit under the bank account of Jesus Christ and all of his righteousness is to our account. And so if you ever find yourself feeling worthless, how could a God ever love me? When he looks at you, he's looking at what Jesus has done. And Jesus has accomplished everything perfectly on your behalf. That's the gospel and the love of God. Jesus, in my place, we are new creatures in Christ, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. So what, pastor? What am I supposed to do about the gospel? I see these relational terms. I see these facts about what Jesus has done on my behalf. But so what? Here's the thing that I want to talk to you about for a minute as we come through this second part of the message. You can know all this stuff and literally do nothing about it. You can be fully knowledgeable. You can know theology back and forth. You can know God's word as we study. But as I said last week, if you know God's word but don't do it, you will not get the benefit of following him in any way. Now think about this for a moment. When it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the work of Jesus, you can either live with the gospel as the center of your life, or you can make it the periphery out there somewhere in the universe on the, you know, the far reaches of my, the galaxy that is my life. I put the gospel out there. I'm still functionally doing things my own way. I may have embraced Jesus as my Savior and Lord. He is my I found forgiveness in Jesus Christ, but I functionally treat him and the gospel like he's out there in the periphery. That's a problem. That's essentially this work that Jesus Christ did. You're essentially saying, ah, it was good. It was good one day, but it's not really relevant to me all the time. I want to go back to the text. If you have your Bible, go back to Ephesians. I'm going to skip ahead to verse 8. So what do we do with the gospel? I'm going to give you five things that we need to think about as we think about whether we're gospel-centered people, whether we're living in the gospel, whether you've even embraced the gospel. Verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Why don't you jot this down first? The gospel of Jesus, receive it by faith. If you're here today and you're like, I've heard a lot about Christians, I think there might be something there. But I, I'm pretty convinced that I'm a sinner and I'm, I'm, I'm living outside the gospel. I, I have never experienced relationship with the eternal God. Today can be the day that you can embrace it. 
Okay, I would love to pray with you after the service to help you begin a relationship with the living God today. We embrace what Jesus has done by faith. Think about it this way, A, B, C. You need to admit that you're a sinner and that you could not save yourself, scripture says. Then we need to believe on the Lord Jesus and all that he has done on the cross, his resurrection. And then you need to commit to him. You need to follow him and make him Lord and Savior. You can do that today. You know the worst thing that you could tell me after this service? The worst thing you could tell me after this service is, Pastor, that was an amazing message. You have so inspired me to live a better life. You will have gone right around exactly what I've said. The truth is, what I'm talking about today in the gospel is not something you should be inspired to go do on your own. You can't, you never could. The gospel of Jesus Christ is realizing I cannot do it on my own and I need a holy God to rescue me and he loves me and he wants to. Are you willing to embrace Jesus by faith? Thank you so much for listening to Meeting with God, the radio ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus, Ohio. If you missed part of today's message or would like to hear other messages from Pastor Luke Aarons, please visit our archive of Meeting with God radio programs at our website, verticalchurch.life. There you'll find a collection of past messages from God's Word, which you can listen to easily, as well as share with your family and friends. Also on our website, you can learn how to connect with Vertical Church personally if you're in Columbus or leave a prayer request. As always, we hope you'll join us here tomorrow at the very same time for your meeting with God. Meeting with God is the teaching ministry of Vertical Church Columbus. For more information, go to verticalchurch.life.